True Voice Studios NYC at Columbus Circle. We chat a bit, and then we learn and record a song from one of my latest projects, which we end up premiering right here for your listening pleasure. Today's guest artist is a composer and lyricist for musical theater, and also tours as a performer, sharing the stage with musicians like Jason Mraz, Third Eye Blind, and the Plain White Tees. He has written music, book, and lyrics for his own musicals, Above My Pay Grade, Make Me Bad, Circles, Inappropriate Stories Told at a Bar, and Crazy Just Like Me, which is about to receive an industry reading here in the city. He's also released three albums of his own work, including the recently released I Could Use a Drink, and his song Good For You was featured in the NBC musical series Smash. Obviously, I'm talking about Drew Gasparini. Drew Gasparini, welcome to the show. Yay! I'm really happy to be here. I'm happy to have you here. <laughs> this is really cool. Right? That's great. Yeah. Here we are at True Voice Studios. Love True Voice. Yeah. It's Loving a, this booth. Right? Yeah. We are in a soundproof booth. You're not going to hear the kids upstairs, like in my apartment. Amazing. So. Yeah. Did you try doing this out of your apartment? Is the, that the first season was in my apartment. The whole season? The whole wow. season. And did the yeah. kids ever come through on the mic? You ever once in a while during the, you know, or you'd hear some street noise, or you'd hear, you know, just, oh, that's so raw. Just true. people being now people. we're like now it's yeah, like, this is like uh, NPR right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, let me that's ask you praise. a question before you ask me questions. Okay. Last time I saw you, I did not have the beard. What do uh-huh. you think of this beard? I like it. I like it. It's very it's, it's coming. It's very in. wintry. It is it's, right. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm like, trying to I'm going not, for the old man winter look. I like it. Yeah. And I'm not surprised when anyone grows a beard around this time of year. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good way to think. Okay, I'm like ah, it's beard season. It's beard season. Everyone should have one. Yeah, that woman like, has a beard. It's like beard pe- season. Peppermint so okay. mochas and beards. Yeah, That's, exactly. that's all Pumpkin, I think. Pumpkin spice and all that crap. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so thank you so much for being oh, my a God, part my of pleasure. this. Yeah. I'm, I'm super excited to talk to you um, <clears throat> as an artist. And so I'm just gonna get right into it. Sweet. There we go. So so Drew Gasparini, how and when did you hear the call to write musicals? Because I do think it is a call. I think when, you're right too. Me. Yeah, it is. It is a call. I heard it when I was 19 years old, huh. and I at the time I was doing a lot of touring and uh, gigging around Los Angeles and San Diego. <clears throat> uh, and I don't know what happened because I was writing for myself so much, just mm-hmm. the singer songwriter stuff. Yeah. And all of a sudden, something clicked, and I was like, "Oh, there's new ways to tell stories." And I really just took a stab at it, and that's that's really how it happened. It was huh. it was like overnight. I just started writing musicals, and I kind of left. I didn't leave it completely, but I yeah. put that singer-songwriter part of me at, you know, somewhere asleep for a second uh-huh. while I tried to focus on the musical theater stuff. But yeah, it was about 19. It was right. It was because it was due to boredom. That's crazy. I always say that. Isn't that so stupid? <laughs> it's the lamest answer. <laughs> no. I was bored and I wrote a musical <laughs> and I kept doing it. Boredom and necessity. Aren't those the, the mothers of invention? Totally. You're Apparently. right. You're right. That's right. <laughs> did you listen to a lot of show tunes? Were you that kid? <clears throat> well, when I was a kid, I did a lot of musical theater. I okay. mean, I'm talking yeah. like eight years jazz tap. I legit God tap bless danced. you. Oh, I, I, thank no, you. I'm, 
hear you. Um, so, but yeah, I, I mean, my first musical was Fiddler on the Roof. I was man number one, and my line was, my line mm-hmm. was, it was a horse. <laughs> Do you remember in the opening number tradition, they go, it was a horse, it was a mule, it was a horse, it was a mule. Oh, no So way. I start that whole fiasco. That was that my was role. You. And I was smitten with theater ever since. Ever since it was a horse. <laughs> uh, ever since it was a horse. And then, yeah, like in high school, I did musical theater and stuff like that. But I wasn't the geeky, like, theater, like, oh, listen to this Sondheim. You know what I mean? I was never that guy. Mm-hmm. And now I much more am. I much more yeah, appreciate yeah, all yeah. the composers now. Yeah. yeah. So musical theater-wise, or even not, like, who who or what inspires you as you, as you pursue musical theater? Um, well, I... I like to look at musical theater progressively in the sense that it's kind of making full circle. Like back in the day, musical theater music and pop music were this, they were synonymous. They were kind of the same thing. It's like you're reading my cheat sheet here. Am I really? Yeah, oh my god, go I'm on, so sorry. Go no, but no. like they they kind of they kind of are syncing back together again due mm-hmm. to shows like Smash and Glee and like the audiences is younger and like it's more radio friendly sound like mm-hmm. with the In the Heights and Spring Awakening and even Rent and stuff like that. And that was always my background as a writer was pop. So my influences do come from a lot of pop musicians. But in terms of theater, I mean, if if you write theater for a living and you don't say Sondheim, I think you get exiled from the community. Yeah, you, know yeah, what you I mean? don't go to heaven. You that's, don't go to heaven. That's true. That's that's true. Um, so I do. I, he, he's a huge influence. Um, and I really, really, really love David Yazbek. He is one of my top guys for sure he's amazing oh my god his lyrics crack just me up and he's just i mean in, in there I, he's he's so good at being hilarious and heartwarming at the same time yeah yeah i and love his stuff he's one of the few lyricists that i i don't see his rhymes coming totally oh like, my god yeah, yeah, yeah you sit in the in the theater and you're like oh oh here we go especially dog, as a writer log, you, yeah yeah, yeah dog yeah. log you know those <laughs> those common that old chestnut <laughs> dog and log <laughs> That was used in a bunch dog, of shows. The dog log um, song. But did you know that he co-wrote Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego? No. Don't you love him more now? I do love him oh more. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Let's make this whole podcast <laughs> Just about David <laughs> Yazbek. Carmen Sandiego. Oh, my God. Yeah. That song was my jam back in the day. I watched that TV show. I played the game. Now we're talking the game show. The game talk, show. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Where in the world is Carmen Sandiego? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Monday through Friday is at five. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm right <laughs> That's amazing. Um, so the- theater songs versus non-theater songs, because mm-hmm. you write both, and there's such yeah. a blurred line there for you. Uh, yeah. And on I Could Use a Drink, which I've been listening to nonstop for the last week. very kind of you. Wow. Well, I love it. Um, you have both on your album. There's yeah. some that, you know, like parentheticals from crazy, like, right. you know, um, or it's just, it seems to be a standalone piece. Yeah. And I praise you for, for including both. Um, so what is your approach when you when you sit down and say like all right I'm writing a th- is it a different approach I'm writing a theater song now it is a different approach a- theater songs usually come as more of an assignment and it mm. feels more like a job uh, pop songs right now at least because I get paid to write theater so that that is my my living so when a pop song comes along it's rarer is that a word I'm a writer I should yes. know that okay <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not more rare it's rarer rare and it's rare rarest rare rarer rarest we sound crazy right now. <laughs> anyway, so it's it's rarer that I'll get a call for someone asking me to write a pop song. Uh, recently, I've been getting more and more to writing pop songs and co-writing with uh, Lauren Pritchard, who is, uh, she signed, and she was just on the Panic at the Disco song, Lolo. Her name's Lolo. Oh, that's right. Uh, that's great. Yeah. Oh, she's awesome. So I've been doing a lot of pop writing with her, but it still feels 
more about me when I'm writing a pop song. Mm -hmm. And a theater song, really, I have to turn a different part of my brain on, and it feels more like an assignment, more like a job. Hmm. And since I'm just a workhorse in in the first place, I almost prefer sticking in that world for a while. Hmm. Um, And in terms of the sounds of pop and, and musical theater, I... Every time I go talk to like people at like Boston Conservatory, if they ask me to go talk to the students, I say, if you're a composer, it's a necessity to be versed in like every genre. You have to know how to write a country song. If they're like, well, pop's not theater, I go, I dare you to write a pop song. I dare you to. Mm-hmm. Most theater composers have such a hard time writing a pop song because they're very schooled in a format, in a way, and then telling a story this way. I think in order to write a good pop song, it's more based... On and this is coming from me and what I listen to. I think it's more based on the melody and the hook instead of mm-hmm. the whole and the feeling. Idea. Yeah, and, you know, pop pop songs for me are, you know, it's it's about one idea. I love you, or I yes. miss you. Yeah, or um, let's get this party started. And that and for like a musical and that's it for but like for a musical theater song, each <clears throat> one has to be like a very small version of that because you have like eighteen you songs so to fill the story more. in. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah, and the vocabulary is yeah. just very different. And this is the big difference, I think, with musical theater and pop songs. And I'm sorry, we're like harping on this now. No, but no. I think pop songs dynamically don't go, there isn't a bunch of peaks and valleys. It kind of gets to where it needs to get and then it plateaus for a second. Hmm. And I think theater songs really have dynamics throughout. They really do, like emotionally and musically and this, that, and the other. And the arrangements always, you know, I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. there's just more to a theater song, I think. Do you feel like you're less critical of yourself when you're writing a pop song? Do you just kind of yes? Do you let yeah you know let the, yeah. the belt loosen a little? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Unless I'm co-writing, because I always mm. feel like the other person is judging my ideas. I like <laughs> you know what I mean. Yes. But when I'm in a room writing a pop song for myself, I'm like, oh, got that out. That's done. Yeah. Next. But if it's a theater song, I'll sit there and I'll hate myself and be like, no, that character wouldn't say that. You fool! And I'll you know I'll never <laughs> right. get through the piece. It takes me days to write a song. Um, so yeah, I want to talk about. Collaboration, sure. Uh, because I've no, you have a couple of people in your in your in your rep that I I see you hang out with a lot, like Alex Brightman, Andrew uh, Cobra, Michael Haney. Yeah, what is that group and why uh, does it exist? That group is is been known as the Morantourage. There's the word. That's yeah. the word that I almost dread saying. But if you look at the hat I'm wearing. There's an M in parentheses right there. Uh-huh. That is our little low. It's become more of like this weird little club that we're in for some reason, like the Rat Pack or something. Tell me about that. We don't know how it happened. None of us do. It just did. And we, Alex Brightman, uh, F. Michael Haney, and Andrew Kober, all Broadway actors, mm-hmm. met a few years ago. And the in most insane bromance began. And there is something to be said about like the the world of musical theater and the personalities that come with it and when you meet a straight guy in musical theater it is the most it's almost it's like you felt like the only one for a while based on who you've been working with and you're like wow and then you have the same weird perverted sense of humor as me and I don't have to hold back and wow do you know what I mean it was just and in your 20s it's really hard to make friends I guess this is getting, now it's getting <laughs> pathetic for me. No, no. But so like, it's, they're but your it was, only friends. They're, so they're my only friends. No, but like when we, I hadn't like gone out of my way to make any friends. You know what I mean? And when we all connected, it was like, wow, I guess we're just friends, and that's what it is. We started doing so many things together, and writing specific songs for them, and our gross sense of humor in mind. 
And then uh, uh, the last year and a half or so, we've been developing a pilot and pitching it to networks and That's stuff great. like that. And yeah. So you find having a, a group. It is, useful? yes. Oh, yes, because we're talking collaboration here. Absolutely. Especially when you're like minded. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Nothing, you, you don't have to, there's no boundaries. You can really be open and truthful, and, and it helps the collaboration process. And you can hate their idea, and you know what I mean? It just, it, the conversation is so wide open mm. that it makes the collaboration process so easy. And seamless. Does that make sense? That makes total sense. All right. Uh, yeah. So I work with them a lot. They're great people. Uh, you also have some um, familial collaborations. I do. Um, <laughs> your sister, bo- uh, two of your sisters. Both my sisters and I. Well, I've been. I mean, musically collaborating with my family ever since I was a kid. My mom is a music teacher, mm-hmm. and my dad is a very Zeppelin-induced uh, rock drummer. And so we were raised, you know, my mom was very Elton John and my dad mm-hmm. was very, like, the Grateful Dead and Led Zeppelin. And, and um, those are the two worlds musically. And then in high school, I kind of roped my brother into joining this barbershop quartet that I used to arrange for. I just started one. I thought it was the cool thing to do. I don't know yeah, why I thought barbershop yeah, quartetting was, was the coolest thing cool. to do. But we were people liked us. It was fun. <laughs> we were called the Accidentals. It was a lot of fun. That's great. Um, and so my brother and I did that for a couple of years in high school. And Casey and I write together. And uh, we, we've written a few things together. My little mm-hmm. sister, who is an insane pop singer and songwriter, she and I have been writing a little bit together. Um, and whenever they're both in town, they sing in my concerts. And Casey, who lives in New York now, she's 23. She's like an immense actress. She's on tour with Theater Works right now. That's great. And uh, Chloe is still in high school. And if you hear her on the album, she sounds like like which, Aretha. Which one did she sing? If I Had You. The, the Parents Are On The Table. Yes, that one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. I know. That voice. She was 16 when she recorded that. That's disgusting. Isn't that so idiotic? Yeah, I, yeah. She's so stupid. Both of them. They're so, they're so crazy. Morons. Morons. <laughs> we love that word. <laughs> um, and then, I don't know if this is a spoiler, but uh, your mother made an appearance on the album. That's not a spoiler. And I thought that was the cutest thing She did ever. not want to I was going to ask you, that. how much do you wrangle your family into doing things to further um, your career? To further my career? <laughs> 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 it all does. It, it really does. Um, I'm teasing. No, but it's it's pretty true. Uh, with asking Casey and Chloe to do something, I'd never have to twist their arm. They're always so yeah. excited. Anything with music and singing and performing, they're all about. And they're lovely. My mom is a performer and a yeah. great singer. But when it comes to doing any of my things, I feel like she's a little more hesitant because she doesn't want to be that mom. So mm-hmm. when she had to come in at the end of the album, and it's not a spoiler, at the very end of the album, uh, it's almost like a bonus track. She comes on and thanks all the listeners for listening to her son's album. It's and so cute. It's so cute and it's kind of cheesy. And I asked her to do it. And it's kind of funny. Um, mm. And it was she was there to watch Chloe record and she did not want to be a part of it. And I wrote <laughs> I wrote her a little script and like Aww. put her in the recording booth. She didn't want anything to do with it, but it was really fun. <laughs> Uh, so earlier you mentioned that you, you were in musicals in high school, yeah, um, and things like that. So, uh, but but you still work as a performer as well from time yeah, to time. Yeah, from time to time. I mean, writing is the job, right? Yeah. And there was mm-hmm. like a moment where I kind of had this like, I, I need to, I, I really want to be a performer again. And I heard that Rent was coming back to Off-Broadway yep. and I was like, that's a dream. I've always wanted to play Mark and Rent. Mm-hmm. And I went and auditioned. This is all true. Yeah. I went and... Uh, First, I went and just got an agent, and I don't know, I don't remember how that happened. Oh, my friend Anna Bergman, you know Anna Bergman, don't you know Anna I Bergman? Do, do. Yeah, I do, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. She helped me 
uh, get an agent, and then they sent me out to the audition for Rent. I auditioned for Mark. I got called back for Roger like five times. I was getting really close. And then I didn't get the part, and then I, I heard that they were doing another production of Rent with Justin Guarini from American Idol playing Surf Roger Flight. at Surflight. And I auditioned, and I went in for, like, Gordon or not Mark, and they called me back in for Mark, and I got the part, and I was like, yay! And then after I did it, I was like, I never have to do that again! I never have to <laughs> act ever again! I got really nervous. Did Ooh, you? I a lot of words to memorize. Yeah? <laughs> it's nerve-wracking. Well, so so that's what it... I mean, did, did any of it feel like old hat? And you're like, ah, oh, this A little feels... bit, yeah, yeah. There's always a bit of natural... I mean, it just kind of... When you're on stage, I never get, like, panicked when I'm on stage. It's yeah. right before I get on stage. I have these, like, really nervous, like... I feel like I might poo or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I still, like, do, like, little bits of, of singer-songwriter stuff. And at the end of each one of my theater concerts, I do, like, a little five-song set of just me talking to the audience and doing what I used to do. That's great. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Do you feel that it's a different person? Obviously, it's a different side of you, but a uh, similar side of a, of a different side of a similar coin. Yeah. Well, the reason I like doing it at the concerts is because after people are hearing all my theater stuff and like there's there's a different emotional sentiment to each song. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So they kind of hear all the sides of my brain. And then I get up there and they kind of hear how crass I am as a as a person, just mm -hmm. kind of talking and having potty humor and then the pop side of things and then they hear that I can I can sing and you know play guitar instead of just piano and they're like you know I just like putting everything about me right in front of people it's like force feeding my sense of humor just shoving it down their throat they don't have a choice <laughs> but to accept ticket, it so. you know what I mean mm -hmm, though mm -hmm. I just I, I want to give them everything I can because yeah. I want to keep doing this for a long time you're <laughs> hoping yeah how does your being a songwriter make you a better performer as a writer well as a first as a performer before I started writing for theater, it was more about the show, not the song. Because back in the day, like back when you're starting out as a singer-songwriter, you're playing to four people in a coffee shop and no one's listening to you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Now that you write for theater and it's on a bigger scale and like there's enough people who know the other performers, are, they're there to listen. Mm -hmm. So as a performer, um, I stopped thinking about how I can get everyone's attention with a song and I kind of just am able to emote. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it really helps my writing become more genuine and honest, I think. There is something to be said about wanting to be like famous and people to get your, you know, get people's attention, but there's something more there's more substance behind the honesty that comes with songwriting. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, I, and as when I was starting out, I didn't I don't think I was as honest in my writing and now I feel like I really am. That's great. Yeah. And you think your background as a performer helps that? Or? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Because I saw, it's like watching old patterns. As a performer, you, you keep evolving, and that helps the writer side of you keep evolving. It's just growing as a person. Everything starts to move in the right direction. Nice. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, when you're performing uh, either in Rent, and you have a director, and you have an ensemble, mm -hmm. and a choreographer, and a music director, or, you know, when you're doing your singer-songwriter thing, and I, I assume you, you've got someone behind the curtain helping shape it. Do you ever feel like you have to turn off part of yourself to do those jobs? To to get the job done, to, you know, to to take the note, to to honor the intention without going in and like making rewrites in your brain. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think I mean with with people behind the decision making of what happens on stage, I kind of listen and I always usually just take it with a grain of salt. Hmm. You know what I mean? Cuz I think it all kind of changes once you're on the stage. 
you have to gauge what the audience is feeling. Yeah. If you feel like this moment could be a little bigger, even though you were kind of asked to hold back, or you just just to spice that second up. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, same goes for being a singer songwriter. If you were going to play a ballad and and that was in the set list and that's the set list you were given to play, and all of a sudden you see a really sleepy audience, you're like, well, you know what? We're gonna do a, we're gonna do a rock number right now. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's a lot of. It sounds like it's a lot of of trust. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And you hope that they trust you as well. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. It goes both ways. Yeah, big time. Awesome. I want to talk about the trend of. I feel like I feel like everyone is releasing their the songs of yeah. albums these days. <laughs> yes. And um, so I'm basically saying you're not special because everyone's <laughs> doing it. <laughs> no, no. But seriously, I think I. I, I I do feel like it's a bit of a trend right now. And for the composer world, it certainly came. Right? Yeah. I just did a master class yesterday with Actors Connection, and we kind of talked about this, that being a composer nowadays, it feels like you have to be a rock star as well. You kind of have to, like, you can't just, it's not like what it was where you write a show and someone loves the show and the show's on Broadway. You know what I mean? It's not that anymore. Mm -hmm. You have to get people's attention, and you want to make a living, so you want to sell sheet music, so you put new songs in concerts, put the clips on YouTube, and help people look at the clips, and yep. it goes on and on and on. These albums, I and by the way, and I'm not making this up because we were just joking about it, I literally didn't want to do it at all. I didn't think anyone would have any interest. I didn't think anyone would care. I don't, I don't think any of us, even the ones who have come out with albums yet, are necessarily famous enough to come out with an album. Do you know what I mean? I do know what you mean. So, yeah. I mean, and that might be the wrong wording, but you, you understand the idea I'm trying to say. It's a little... It's, and it's, I agree with that with that my, myself. I don't think I'm necessarily famous enough, and I'm using air quotes for those who are listening, uh, famous enough to release an album of my stuff, because honestly, who cares? Who cares yet? I'm not where I want to be yet. I'm still working to get there. Yeah. So why should I expect other people to care? I'm flattered that people do and like we raised we did a Kickstarter we raised $20,000 I couldn't I couldn't that's believe a, it at all I couldn't believe it's it phenomenal. it phenomenal. blows my mind so that's what I'm saying is in order to be a composer you kind of have to establish yourself as a rock star in a way where you're getting a fan base you know mm -hmm. what I mean you're, sell I, you're selling a brand in you're a way. selling a that's, brand you kind of have to market it, yourself yeah. and I look at the generation <laughs> of writers that you and I are in and I yep. look at you and I look at me and like Joe Iconis and Ryan Scott Oliver and like these are all our friends, right? We know yeah. these guys. Yeah, very nice guys. If you look at, if you listen to their music back to back to back to back, I think the reason why each of us kind of has our own separate little, like they all, like there's a group of teenage girls that really just like new musical theater and they'll like all of us. But some of us have fans, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think that comes from the fact that not one of us sounds the same. You can kind of hear where we're all influenced by the same thing, yeah, but we yeah. each have one thing that makes us us, like a very different brand. Absolutely. It's about branding. Yeah. You know what I mean? So when it comes to the album and things like that, you put it out and you hope and hope and hope and mm -hmm. <laughs> it makes a difference in some way and people listen to the music and that's all I hope is that people yeah. are listening to the music. So now some fun stuff. Okay, great. I need to hear what it was like writing for Smash because... I'll tell I, you. <laughs> I had some. Uh, it, it was it was a guilty pleasure. Smash. Yeah, but I but I loved it. I have the I have the bombshell album. <laughs> I I I fell for it hook line and sinker. Yeah, and you know just despite its flaws, I I still you know I tuned in. Good. Every, every week. Man, if only and there was like eleven million <laughs> more of you tuning in, that would have been great. I don't great. think anyone wants eleven million of me. No. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be a very specific TV show. Um, that's true. 
Um, I mean, writing for Smash. I'm so proud of you. Oh, that's so kind. Thank you. Um, I loved it and I hated it at the same time. And there were some great people and there were some really not great people. And I won't mention any of their names. It's fine. Um, But one of the great people I thought was Josh Safran, who was the showrunner. And he Mm. called me um, the summer before the season began, before they started shooting and all that. And uh, they were looking at, he told me that they were looking at like five composers and he didn't tell me who they were. Mm -hmm. And then when it was like announced, it was me and Joe Iconis and um, uh, Andrew McMahon and Pasek and Paul. I was like, oh, great. Yeah. Friends of mine. This is is amazing. It's so crazy. Um, So that was like, that was a really neat part is to be a part of something with guys that I kind of looked at, like Joe Iconis. I really looked up to him and Pasek and Paul. I love these guys. And and being able to be a part of something with them was really neat. We never worked together. Mm -hmm. And I think that would have been neat. Um, Because when they kind of explained the job description to me, it was that. Um, And it was like a writing pool, kind of, where there was a bunch of writers for the show. And I already had a song guaranteed in, and that was good for you, and that's the one that made it to air. I did write other things for the show that never made the cut. Um, But I was still, you know, part of the writing team, and that was neat. And I still had a song in the air, and that was great. And it did wonderful things for my career, and I'm thrilled about it. Uh, The thing that I... The deadlines were so crazy. It's like, I remember they needed a demo of a song in, like, hours. And they don't have... TV people don't necessarily have great imaginations, so Mm. it's not like a piano vocal. (laughs) It's full thing. So writing a song in a couple hours and then putting together an arrangement and God bless Charlie Rosen for letting me run to his house and use his home studio and you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so that that part was stressful because you want to do good. You want you want to do you want you want to do well. You want to make sure more of your stuff gets on the air. It's Absolutely. always good for you and um, I don't know, it was it was a good test for my work ethic, I think. Did you very ever? very different from theater writing. Yeah. Writing for TV and writing for theater is so different. Yeah, in in what ways? Um, mostly well, you don't less control. Less control, <laughs> deadlines, and for theater, people really do have an imagination, and you can kind of send them. They can hear. They the can hear the orchestrations without. around the song mm-hmm. without you having to bust your ass trying to you know make sure it's very full sounding. Like the demo you sent in sounds like almost like the finished product. It's huh. it's crazy. Um, yeah, and, and when I heard "Good for You" for the first time, it's not how I intended the song to sound, but I was still like really into it. It's like, and I downloaded it. <laughs> I have it on my gym <laughs> mix on my phone <laughs> because it's like they turned it into like a club, like yeah, they do. Little, kind of thing. And I was like, little oh, Kelly right, Clarkson yeah, yeah. in there. Totally, totally. It's really poppy. It. It's a lot was, of fun. Yeah. And Catherine McPhee sang the pee pee out of it. It was great. She, yes, she did. She sure did. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they're doing the Hitless concert at 54 Below. I know. For all you Are Smash you fans. about that? I am. I'm so excited. It sold out in like 35 minutes. Both shows. There are two shows back to back, and they sold out in 35 minutes. So that's so cool that there are like diehard Smash fans, like pumped for this. Do you think so they're ever going to make a show out of it? Do you think, do you think someone's going to, you know, do something? And I don't think it's going to happen. No. <laughs> I don't. If they do, that'd be awesome. Okay. But I, I mean, if it's if if it is happening, you can wink at me, and I won't tell them if you actually winked at me or not. I'm not winking. That's, I'm sorry. I don't okay, know. okay, Drew. <laughs> okay. Whatever you say, Winky. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think it will. Although when we when we all like found out we had the jobs, like there was so much buzz going around. Like, yeah, it's gonna be this season, and then mm-hmm. right after the season closes, they're gonna open the actual Hitless show on Broadway. Whoa. Well, that's kind of like the premise, right? Well, the, that was the idea initially, I think. Yeah. So I was like, 
hell yeah, we are. That's awesome. I was so right pumped. Now, right I didn't know that happened. It was it was such a high high, and then right after the show got canceled, it was such a low low. Oh no! But it's okay. It's yeah. a gift that keeps on giving in in a way. I have I have no doubt. Yeah. Um, another fun question, at least for me. Sure. Because um, <laughs> this is about me. Of course. Um, so you you're all about the social media. Oh, I am. You know, you're on you're on the Twitter and things like that. I am. Um, there is a particular follower of you on Twitter that I'm so jealous, and I want to know how this happened. Who is it? Britney Spears. I have no idea. She follows you on Twitter. Did she you? Does. Were you aware? I oh yes. I've I've I have no idea how it happened, and it was shortly after I joined Twitter. You didn't because like you get um because I get emails and notifying so and so is now following yeah. you on Twitter. Yeah. And, I'm like, I don't know who that is. It's, or or it's, yay. <laughs> or yay. <laughs> I still don't know who that is. I still don't know. Uh, yeah, but, Britney um, Spears follows me. I, Spears I hope she's getting all the great information in my life. I'm sure she sure. reads it, too. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm sure she's flipping through. How many like, followers? That's a really good question. How many followers does Britney Spears have? Does, was she, like, one day haphazardly just following people at random to try to boost her page? I don't, I don't think she needs it. I th- I'm obviously, she doesn't. So I She's think Britney she, Spears mofo. But, yeah. like, I, I, I can't imagine why she would follow me. Yeah, but just know that the 16-year-old closeted boy in me really <laughs> wanted to know. Dude, I still want to know now. The 16-year-old, like, like, straight boy in me was like, yeah, Britney Spears, what's up? That is, that's amazing. <laughs> so I just wanted to bring that to everyone's attention. Yes, Britney Spears follows me on Twitter. And I'm jealous. <laughs> Do you message her and say, hey, I love a follow back. <laughs> Here's the true story. I I had some extra uh, high school graduation invitations. Yeah. And I mailed her one. How? <laughs> to her fan club. <laughs> <laughs> I thought she might come. <laughs> That's so great. That's adorable. <laughs> that is so great. Oh, yeah, my God. I've never, I... <laughs> Jesus Christ. That is so hilarious to me. <laughs> oh, I'm she, sorry she didn't show up. I, oh, well, she might have been there. We don't know. <laughs> Drew Gasparini, what do you have coming up? Uh, plenty of coming up. Um, on well, here are the immediate things. Yeah, yeah. November eleventh, I am joining a fantastic composer. I don't know if you know Zach Zadek. He is he's t- like twenty, twenty one, young guy. Wow. He's playing at the Highline Ballroom. <clears throat> yeah, amazing. He's, he's killer. So I'm joining him. I'm going to sing some of his stuff. Uh, then on November eighteenth, we're doing an industry reading. Um, of my musical Crazy Just Like Me, which is um, I'm very excited about. That show's been pooting around for many, many years. and mm-hmm. I mean, we did well. It won awards in Nymph, and you know, it's been all over the country, and, uh, and this industry reading is going to be a lot of fun, and hopefully the right people are in the room. Um, but it's free if people want to come. It's going to be at the June Havoc Theater on 36th Street, uh, and if you want to RSVP to come, it's Email crazyreading1118 at gmail. And that 1118 means November 18th. Yes. Uh, and then after that, I have... Um, you have 54 below? I have a December. concert. Thank you for reminding me. Of, after the Hit List concert, of course, of where course. some of my music will be performed at 54 Below, that following weekend I'll be there doing my stuff, and Jeremy Jordan from Smash will be singing. Mark Summers, the host of Double Dare and Unwrapped on the Food Network, is singing a song that I wrote for him. You love him. I love him. When I met him, I couldn't believe it, and I love him so much. I know. He's fantastic. Um, (laughs) He was my... I used to pretend to be him when I was a kid. 
My wow. brother and I would like flip couches over and pretend to be like doing the double dare physical challenges, and I'd pretend to be Mark Summers. So when I met him, I like freaked out. We've been really good friends ever since. It's really cool. That's crazy. Um, and we got all the more entourage coming and singing. Wonderful. Uh, and my talented sisters will be there. It's Aww, yeah, and a lot of a lot of Broadway people are going to be in the show. It's going to be a really good one. That's awesome. And it's ninety percent brand new stuff from new musicals and. Yay. Yeah, so I'm actually really excited about it. Yay for new work. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of new work, um, now is the time where I'm going to set up the song. Great. Uh, this is, uh, Drew has graciously agreed to sing uh, Let Her Go, which is from my musical To Helen Back. And um, it <laughs> it became a bigger creature than I think uh, we dreamed it would be. <laughs> Uh, First of all, (laughs) we had the lovely and amazing Logan Colwell at the piano, who's just such a treasure. And um, we have backup vocalists. We had an octet here, you guys. It was madness. It was madness, massive madness. Um, Just everyone just here being so generous and talented. Uh, Ridiculous. They learned it in half an hour. It was great. Yeah, weren't they great? Yeah. Right? Yeah, totally filled the room. It was awesome. I'm really glad that we did it live with everybody. Yeah, same. That was a game changer. Um... And, and those people are in alphabetical order. Um, forgive me if I get the alphabet wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie Buxton, Ian Gibb, Joe Hager, Joanne Javian, Shane Saldivar, Jacqueline Stapp, Jessica Swerzy, and Liz Ulmer. Check them all out. They all have websites, and they're all amazing, amazing people. Hire Swerzy. them. Swerzy. Swerzy. Oh, man, that's fantastic. Great name, right? Swerzy, mm-hmm. yes. Ooh, hire, hire that just for the name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the the song is from To Hell and Back and it's pretty close to the end where our hero Jack has reached uh, Hades and Persephone's door and has his final plea to let him bring his girlfriend back to the real world in Nebraska and um, the, the song Let Her Go is that plea and everyone else, uh, the ensemble comes in representing the ensemble of the show who he has won over throughout the course of his journey and now they're all there to to help back him up uh, physically and vocally and all that good stuff. And awesome. It was really fun. Uh, remember, if you like the song, it's available for free download on my SoundCloud page until the next podcast episode. And if you'd like to request sheet music, you may write me at joelbnew at gmail.com for a free PDF. Uh, be sure to download Something New Volume 1 for free on noisetrade.com and tips will be donated to the Human Rights Campaign. Uh, follow me on all things social media, and you'll find all those links and so much more on joelbnew.com. And while you're there, feel free to click on either the Cafe Press or Donate links on the podcast page. Any and all contributions go toward production costs and are supremely appreciated. Make sure you visit drewgasperinimusic.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, subscribe to, rate, and review this podcast. Tell your friends all about it. Special thanks to Peyton Royal at Website Lines, Red Scandal Graphics. Yeah. Who does my, who does, did my, He's uh, revamping my site right now. Peyton as you is? Speak. Yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. Peyton Royal, Red Scandal Graphics, today's accompanist, Logan Colwell, True Voice Studios NYC. Uh, for more information on booking here, you can go to truevoicestudiosnyc.com. Or you can call 212-245-2441. And that's true without the E. Uh, and last but not least, Drew Gasparini. Thank you so much for doing this oh, interview. Oh, man, it was so cool. It was I my had pleasure. a blast. Oh, Thank good, you. me too. This is great. From True Voice Studios at Columbus Circle, this is Joel B. New. And I'm Drew Gasparini. Saying thank you for dropping by for something new.
I know it's all ashes to ashes We're not meant to be here too long Loss is a daily occurrence Still each time it feels a little more wrong From ash blooms a delicate flower One we nurture and honor and prune Question your judgment. This flower was plucked far too soon. I'm sure you had your reasons. I'm sure you think you knew best. My world is capsizing, crumbling, derailing. In other words, I'm failing this test. Let her go. Let her go. sky attraction like lightning bolts fly to the rod my heart aches on my sleeve I can't bear it I am weak but love's too strong a god I'm sure you had your reasons I'm sure you think you were right my world is capsizing, crumbling, derailing. In other words, I'm failing this fight. Let her go. Let her go. Back to a day we were kind of okay. Back to the way things were. Let her go. Let her go back to Back to the 